Episode of Pod Like a Whole presents Season Three, Run the Gamut. Three of your intrepid hosts. We pick artists, bands, albums, and we talk about them. And we do it by nominating fourteen of them. And this episode, we landed on one of our co-hosts, co-creators, the creator, the scholar, the professor, uh, Eric. He's going to be telling us all about the Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique. This is it. Now, let's introduce the Beastie Boys to you. Your name, please. Uh, I'm, uh, Abrock. <laughs> Beastie Boys, not from Brooklyn, from Manhattan, but he is... MCA. Where are you from? Brooklyn, USA. All right. All right, and I guess about now, I'm Mike D, born and bred in Manhattan. History. Of course, we're going to do a track by track. But first and foremost, let's get the formalities out of the way. This is Mark. If you are just popping in because you've randomly just typed in Beastie Boys in your podcast catcher and this came up, well, welcome to what we do here. Uh, it's not much very different for all those podcast analysis shows where, uh, you know, three friends get together, they chuckleheads uh, talk about their favorite things and uh, we deliberately waste your time. Uh, but all in all, it's all about friendship and the uh, what we learned along the way. So this is Mark and I'm going to toss it over to not Eric, but Steven. Steven, are you out there? Yeah, I am. And I've had to correct you on this before. But when Mark says 14 albums, he means we each picked 14 albums. So that uh, is correct. It's 40-something albums. For some reason, that's very important to me because if someone's just stumbling upon this thing for the first time and they don't know about the first two entire seasons that was all of David Bowie and Nine Inch Nails and stuff, then they're like, huh. Then they just picked 14 more records. That's it. Weird. Strange. But no, there's many more than 14. And season three is taking forever to get through. That's all <laughs> sure. I've got to say. Here's Eric. It sure is. Eric. <laughs> Hi, boys. Hi, boys. Uh... Just, uh, just uh, a, a three bros about to talk about another three bros. 
It's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Uh, so strap yourselves in for that conversation. But what we do, we also like to uh, recommend things that are maybe in the current culture, things that uh, maybe have just been released, things we have just been recently been consuming, uh, something a little, I don't know, to keep it a little current, but uh, sometimes not so current on my my, my part. But Stephen, I think uh, it's been a content damn burst lately for the three of us. But one thing in particular seemed to set your hair on fire. I want to tell the uh, lovely audience all about that. Well, Mark, before we get into plug like a hole, we got to talk about some other things other because things. did you guys hear about this? Uh oh. Did you guys hear? Did you guys hear? Jay Leno. <laughs> did you guys hear the Aftershock Festival is back in our hometown of Sacramento? Did you hear about this? I did not actually. This is I breaking saw, news for saw me. The, I saw the lineup. So yeah, tell the, me. Uh, the, after, the Aftershock Festival is coming back, and uh, I think they did it last year, but. I mean, I'm 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 hoping this year uh, it's it's almost COVID-free. I mean, I, I think we're at the point now where we're, we're just we've learned to live with it. There are those of us that uh, won't die, and then there are those of us that don't care and still will die, even though I, I'm, I'm comfortable pumping gas without a mask on now. But I'm I'm not going to go to the video arcade. Do I want to go to the aftershock festival? Probably not. I don't care if it's outside. This is uh, the 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 risk of the good music versus the. Uh, of the, the sickness versus the reward of the good music. I'm looking at this lineup here, and I just don't know, fellas. But I'm glad it's coming back. I've always been glad that Aftershock was, uh, you know, it's a monster energy drink of a festival, and it's in Sacramento, which, come on, is there a better place for such a ridiculous idea? No, it's perfect. Uh, so we're not going to go through all 100 bands here. That'd be ridiculous. Bands of note, though, over the four-day festival... You've got Rob Zombie, Slipknot, and Evanescence headlining uh, Thursday. Um, not uh, Code Orange is there that night. We like Code Orange on this podcast. Not else a lot. Crown the Empire. If I Die First. These are some interesting band names. And uh, Friday. Friday. Headliners, Lamb of God. Friends of the show. Kiss, Mark's favorite band. And then uh, Judas Priest playing on friday that's good other other bands of note that day uh Meshuga, they're all right clutch they're good helmet we like helmet uh chevelle eric's favorite band chevelle when eric <laughs> can't listen to tool he puts chevelle on been that way for years. <laughs> stare in the mirror on waiting Saturday. for my waiting for my ponytail to grow yes yes break break dancing in the kitchen and then on saturday a Day to Remember. I've never even listened to one song by them, but they're headlining. My Chemical Romance. All the young kids like them. I never was a huge fan, but I liked I liked what they tried to represent and what they did. Good for them. And then Papa Roach. Huh. Uh, Thursday, Thrice. Uh, not going. Not, uh, sat, the, the Distillers kind of stick out there on Saturday. And then uh, Zeal and Ardor. Mark. Mark. Mark really liked the new album. Eric Stone Death. Yeah. I did. It was uh it was a smorgasbord. Now Eric, Eric uh, is a fan as well of another yet another band that I'm like, "Hey, you guys should listen to this." Which is the same voice as that did you hear about this? But uh Eric ob- observed that Zeeland Arder's new album, he said that every time he tried to sing the the folk songs or whatever that he sounded like a 
like modern country music, which I just can't picture. Uh, Kenny Life Chesney. Life is a highway. Life is a highway. <laughs> yeah. I love that Life fucking. It didn't make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, fellas. <laughs> yeah. All right. He, he's got so many modes as a singer, and he's great. It was just a couple tracks. Um, uh, yeah, just the, the weight to it. I have a little rascal flats, you know? Yeah. Well, if we want to, if we want to, see him on the next Cars Four soundtrack. Uh, and then, then Sunday they bring it all home with, oh my God, these are bad, bad headliners here. Shine down and bring me the horizon. I never listen to either of those bands; just the names alone, very bland sounding. Did you guys hear about this? Aftershocks back. All right. Oh man, that couldn't be just more, just new metal um, whatever my chemical romance is like fire festival thing is that's what that sounds like i mean I've, there's some highlights there there's some highlights there judas priest kiss is gonna yeah. be very bombastic and uh gene simmons will probably um actually i think he is pro vaccine i'm not sure uh, it's uh it's, ace freely oh yeah no because hey gene's uh he's the, the king king capitalism and uh, much like some of my clients that, uh, you know, you, you, when you talk to them, you're like, they're probably, uh, as soon as I got done talking to them, they turned on uh, uh, Alex Jones. But at the same time, they made everybody at their at their workplace get vaccinated because you can't slow down the uh, progress. Because people are getting, yeah, because people are getting sick. I think Gene yeah. gets it. How many, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the plush kiss doll toy lines cannot be slowed by the sickness. So. <laughs> and Ace Freely, he doesn't play with them anymore, right? He, no. He's long gone. Yeah. They're 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 estranged. Yeah. Um that's a that's a shame. Uh so <laughs> Aftershock, I had no idea. I mean, I'm 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 glad to see music playing the under a underpass at uh uh Discovery Park. That's it. That's everything in the last god knows how long it was since we recorded an episode. I mean, fucking, uh, is the Ukraine conflict done with by the time this episode comes out? Probably. Let's hope so. Goddamn. I mean, uh, yeah, we're not going to get into the geopolitics of, uh, you know, global politics and all things like that. But I'll tell you, I don't know how this fucking thing is going to end, but I don't have a very good feeling about it. So yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather not be disrespectful towards a very serious, uh, yes. issue in the, uh, in the, did you hear about this segment? Jay Leno should not talk <laughs> of such things. <laughs> so there's not going to be any sort of tie in Monica Lewinsky jokes in, in that particular topic. No, not at all. Oh, now I'm thinking of some, but no, <laughs> but you know, one thing actually was worth noting was, uh, on our last subject, Romstein. They did write a song called Sunday. We did talk about that. And that was actually uh, written for introduction music for the mayor of Kiev when he was a professional boxer. Um, so we hope everyone uh, out there uh, in Ukraine, I don't know if we have any listeners out there yet, um, but I'll, I'll tell you this, it uh, breaks my heart. All this shit is going on. War is dumb and I don't really know what to do. So, but if we I'll do say. have any, if we do have any listeners in Ukraine, uh, I'd like you to know that uh, this country is very impressed with you, and we seem to be more inspired by you than we have ourselves in uh, in many years. Which uh, I, very interesting. So, 
yeah, what they're going through right now is uh, unimaginable. And all I can say is that uh, <laughs> as an empty gesture, pod like whole, the podcast stands with you. <laughs> well, I can, I can tell them. But I'm telling you, like, it breaks my heart what everyone's going through. I hear it every day on the news. Unequivocally, they're tougher than we are. I mean, I, I, if, oh if, shit hit the fan, if shit hit the fan of this country, the three of us couldn't make one Molotov cocktail between the three of us. I just fucking... No. Just We'd be tripping over our own shoes and falling downstairs. <laughs> well, Eric uh, does that on not- a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Eric. That's low blow. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> That's it. That's all we heard of about this. Yeah. Um, all right. So plug like a hole. Let's let's plug it, bo- boys. Uh, what do you want to plug? Well, I uh, I don't know who got me into this band. I can't remember. I think it was probably a friend from work. Uh, Ghost has a new album uh, uh, called Impera, and uh, I'm gonna snatch that right out of Steve's uh, right out of Steve's hands. Snatch that that plug right out of his hands. Good, no, Steve got me into him. Um, and I, I, I've always liked liked him, but uh, I don't think I think seeing him in concert uh, solidified my excitement for them where I could like whack my tail like a puppy at the announcement of a new album. Um, just a combination of dark, evil metal rock with unbeatable pop mel- melodies and um, an interesting, beautiful voice that doesn't fit until it does and uh, that's and, and the new album is no exception that's getting bigger more bombastic uh definitely arena rock style um but also a little more emotional and uh production value is aces um so the new one in para i don't have much more to say except uh check it out and um it's lovely yes that was i feel good. like it, steve it, has a yeah, sorry, Steve. I just stepped on my bound, own shoes. It's bound to happen. Yeah, stepped on your own shoes like Eric in more time. It was bound to happen that uh, a plug would be stolen one day, and that's fine. I mean, I'd, I I'm happy that it's a it's a plug that uh, you know I I, I was the, the first of us that was the uh, the ghost fan, and still am a ghost fan. And, and even even as they've gotten bigger, and uh, they've gotten very big. They're they're incredibly popular. They're just like reaching 1991 Metallica. Uh, levels maybe popularity i'm not sure but uh very 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 fun to watch them get more popular if i was younger i probably would be angry but i am not young i'm an old man and i like seeing people like the things i like i think that's one big thing about getting old when you're young you're like oh my god i can't these fucking sellouts i'm like this guy this guy this uh, speaking of kiss this uh, tobias uh uh, the lead, the lead, the mastermind, the Trent Reznor of Ghost. I mean, this guy, there's a goddamn Ghost NASCAR, for God's sakes. He'll just uh, he'll license the shit out of them. And that's fine, because I love the idea of a a grandmother going to Target and buying an album that says, you know, Hail Satan. So it's it's fun. And yeah, the new album is very catchy. And I uh, think that it reminds, in an odd way, it reminds me 
It's so big and loud. It reminds me of Kanye's My Dark Twisted Fantasy somehow, which is just an odd comparison. But if you listen to it now, turn it all the way up. Some of those crazy, like, you know, 10 track choruses with the choir going on, you'll hear it. So that was Eric's plug. And now it's no longer mine, the new Ghost album. So let me see here. Emergency plug. Uh, I did some laundry today. And that's uh, earth shattering in itself. I'm sure you guys think. And I was looking for something good to watch while I did laundry. Oh, yeah. So, uh, do you guys remember Beyond Belief? Fact or fiction? Have you ever walked out of a mall into a huge parking area and realized you'd forgotten where you parked your car? Ever gone mountain biking? What do you want to be when you grow up? What's the right tip? Have you called a plumber to your home lately? How superstitious are you? How much money would it take to make you spend a night in a cemetery? Would you display this as a trophy? Do you have a pet? Do you have a sweet tooth? Do you believe in the power of a curse? Have you had your hearing tested lately? Planning a trip soon? Can you remember the tallest man you've ever seen? Do you love to go a-wandering beneath a clear blue sky? Have you noticed what big stars real estate agents have become? Are you careful with your personal records? Does your computer ever seem to have a mind of its own? Have you ever visited a Chinatown section in a major city? Have you ever visited a flea market? Have you ever visited a truck stop? Did you ever have a job as a waiter? Have you noticed how many successful restaurants are theme-based these days? Have you ever had the desire to write your initials in wet cement? Is that the one hosted by Riker? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. False. So, it's a couple years true. ago... Yeah, yeah, that that meme started where it, it played all those clips of it. He's like, ah, not not this time. We fooled you. We made it up. That whole thing. Well, on on IMDb TV, you can actually watch Beyond Belief, fact or fiction, where they 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 dramatize stories in the way that which they do it, uh, even so over the top that even unsolved mysteries would blush at it, and they do five stories and when they're done they say the lady that talked to the cat on a saturday and the cat told her to burn her house down are you bold enough to believe in reality not this time we fooled you that was a lie <laughs> the newspaper that told the future but only if you read it in the past Think about what I'm telling you. The newspaper that told the future, but only if you read it in the past. Could such a thing be real? Of course it's real. Listen to what I just said. I just said that we were reading the newspaper. Man, they were scraping the barrel for show ideas in like 1992, early like sci-fi channel cable. My goodness. Yeah. And, and, when, and when they are, and when they are real, like uh, today there was one where uh, a man wrote a story eerily like the Titanic 12 years before the Titanic happened right down to the, the ship called the Titan hidden in an iceberg. Could such a thing been true? Yes, it was. Our research team said it was true. Moving on. That's all I'm going to tell you. They just say, they just say, yep. I'm telling you guys, shit was real. Anyhow, uh, don't ask any further questions. Man, um, Riker laughing to the bank. Laughing to the bank. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, yeah, between, that's fantastic. I think next on my list will be uh, that Area 51 alien autopsy. I think Riker hosted that, too. And uh, <laughs> you take those late, those late 90s Fox production levels with uh, William Riker, and I'll watch the shit out of it. That's my emergency plug like a hole.
Oh, that's a good plug. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Um, so the end of February, I caught the COVID. And uh, don't worry, everybody. I was triple vaxxed, and uh, it got me. And unfortunately, it was kind of perfect timing, uh, just kind of the fact that we seem to be coming towards the end of the pandemic and turning it into more of an endemic. Uh, and I don't say that lightly. I know people are dying every day for that horrible, horrible disease. But I'll tell you this. Um, thank God I had my shots. I'll just say that. But in February, early February, I was uh, heard the bad news as I was in the middle of a Netflix Marvel uh, show run through. But that's not really my recommendation. But uh, long story short, there was some silver linings. I was able to clockwork orange my way through that. And then when March 1st hit, the news hit that all of those shows are going to go on Disney Plus. So I did that all for nothing. Fun. Oh, man. When I when I saw that, I laughed so goddamn hard. <laughs> I laughed. The idea, the idea of not marketing COVID, that's a, you know, that that's a bummer. But uh, sure. the fact that he sat down and he's just like, well, if I can't be with my family, I can be with uh, the Punisher, Jessica Jones, <laughs> Iron Fist. <laughs> yes. Uh, Mid quality on the best day adaptations of Marvel comics. And I'm going to watch them all. I'm going to watch like 55 hours before they get taken away from me. Yeah. Five hours, more like 100. And you just sit there and you do all that. And they announce, oh, yeah, by the way, you dipshits. Of course, we're not just going to fucking delete these. They'll be available <laughs> on the uh, Disney Plus app whenever you want them. <laughs> I laughed harder, than, uh, I laughed harder than, than Eric telling his story about the shit hatch that he had when he was in uh, when he broke his legs or whatever when he was a kid. Because I'll be honest, yeah, I watched like two seasons in a day and I felt like I like was seeing through time. Um, But my recommendation out there is uh, something that these two peeped me on probably fucking years ago. And I finally was like, you know what? I enjoyed what we do in the shadows. And Matt Berry seems like a good time. I should see what else he's up to. And they have been raving about Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Driving fast down the highway Must have been insane Cause the temperature's too high Traveling way too fast And I knew our loving Was too hot to last Cold to the touch and it isn't very nice when you left Alone, your lady treats you bad, leaves you hang on the phone Take off, shove your loving on the wheels Put the pedal to the floor, cause you're heading for the hills Gotta get away, can't take it no more Man, you don't need this, leave it at the door And that is my recommendation It is available on Peacock It is available on Prime Video It is six episodes, 20 minutes You can shotgun that easily uh, and it was amazing. Uh, I mean, this show is uh, purposefully trying to look as cheap as possible. And uh, back in the day when I first met Eric, this was what kind of content he was making by himself. And uh, <laughs> it just warms my heart. Uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Matt Berry plays Dr. Rick Sanchez. And... Uh, yeah, that that's all I'll say. I don't want to ruin anything else, but it's fantastic. Um, 
I can't remember the actor who plays Dean Lerner, but my God, great. He's yeah, on the uh, Richard, IT crowd. Uh, Richard Aboye or something. I, I'm getting his last yes. name. Yes. And great. I'm not sure who actually, uh, Matthew something or other uh, plays Garth Marenghi, but my God. And I'm uh, working my way through Toast of London, um, which is also absurd, but in a great way. Uh, yes. Yes. That's, that's, my, that's my, my, my plug. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Much, much how I feel about ghosts in my old age, which I, I mean, I guess I don't have to work hard to get them, get me anyway. I don't got to suggest ghost anybody. It's uh, they're, they're very popular, but the, the, the joy I got when I was able to introduce a friend to them before they were the next kiss, same way I feel about Garth Naringi. Uh, I think Eric's the same way. Garth Naringi's dark place. He, uh, when you find someone that already knows about it, you're, you found like you joined, you, you met another member of your secret club. And if they haven't, I have never suggested that to someone that didn't watch it and didn't laugh their ass off and it enters their lexicon of stupid jokes. Um, and yeah, you know, Eric and I had to fucking you know, suffer for years watching on YouTube. Mark has it on high definition prime now, which is it's a fair trade off. I mean, the guy just sat in his house for uh, 87 hours and watched all of the Iron Fist episodes. We didn't have to. I'm actually glad that by the time he got around to Garth and Ringy, he got to watch it on pristine prime or Peacock and not just YouTube <clears throat> here, here, which is where he has to watch toast of London now because for years, Mark didn't listen to me about toast of London when it was on Netflix. So now he has to watch it bootleg style. Yep. Uh, but uh, man, what we do in the shadows in this house, I'll tell you uh, me and the wife, we speak a language um, uh, around that show. So Oh, I thought this was going somewhere else. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, she plays uh, we, uh, Naja and Laszlo. <laughs> oh. Let's just yeah. say that. Very nice. Very nice. What, what me and the wife do in the shadows. <laughs> uh, but moving on. Those are our plugs. Check them out. So, Eric. Yeah. Unfold. All right. Oh. Beastie Boys, I, I, I did pick this album. Um, it, it is, you know, it's on all sorts of top 100 best hip-hop albums of all time. Um, I liked it, uh, but it wasn't my introduction to Beastie Boys. Um, I mean, I, I definitely knew Fight for Your Right to Party in the 80s. Um, but, um, you know, in middle school, the Sabotage video changed my life, and I used my Columbia Records thing to get, to get uh, ill communication and check your head. Um, and then in, in, in Arizona, if you, I bring up friend of the show, Greg Wall, yes, a lot, but if you looked at our trifecta of bands, it was Nine Inch Nails, it was Primus, both covered on the show already, and it was Beastie Boys. And um, he, uh, and, uh, and also previous guest of the show, his older brother, uh, Dan, and, and girlfriend at the time, now wife, Jamie, um, they had Paul's Boutique and they showed it to us. And I, I just remember laughing and and loving the beats and it was just mind-blowing the sounds that were coming out of that that and, uh, and i wasn't really a rap fan um at that time i mean it was probably the first they were probably the first rap group i bought since please hammer don't hurt them um so uh so i you know I, I i wasn't quite going through my rap phase yet and that would come and bc boys would be a big part of that um but uh 
they but I for a few years there, middle school through through early high school, uh, they not only developed my you know, sense of music and 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 and, and fashion because they 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 were these kind of like fashion guys too. But weirdly enough, bringing back the '70s fashions, um, but uh, my sense of humor and um, their kind of crossover with um, with funny funny filmmakers. And, and, and stuff I think really informed me um, of, uh, of you know what stuff I like goofy goofy silly throwback humor um, and so you know for that I have fond memories of this falling into this album um, and we're gonna get into their history but first I mean let's 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 turn it to you guys Mark would you do you have a, a history with the Beastie Boys so at first um, you know my introduction to the Beastie Boys was uh, probably just watching a lot of music videos and you know i hate to say it getting very annoyed with the uh fight for your right to party video licensed ill was not my favorite record um i'll just just preface it with that so like at first beastie boys was not a group or band that i really appreciated i kind of put them in the all right ben you know um but it wasn't until I started working at the record store and uh, they had that double album anthology called the sounds of science guy that uh, I worked with uh, quite frequently on closing shifts. His name was Jason, not our friend of the show um, rest in power, Jason, but another Jason. And he would just put that fucking record on and shake your rump would come on and he would just, uh, you know, Jason lived loud and proud and I, and I love that about him. And he would just, instead of working, he would dance. He's just fucking dancing in front of me doing shake your rump and Hey ladies and all of those like really strong songs. And of course I was a familiar with sabotage and which was a fantastic music video and a fantastic song. But that's when I really like started to get more, akin to their hip hop style. Cause sabotage for me is kind of like this punk rock groover with some rap in there. Um, and, but very cursory exposure to beastie boys besides what I was seeing on, you know, MTV. So I'll, I will say this after I heard like shake your rump in the production value of all of the samples that the dust brothers were throwing and I was getting more used to kind of their their flow, their style. Um, one of our mutual friends, Matt, uh, I don't know where he landed on Beastie Boys, but he was always like, yeah, Beastie Boys have this very formulaic kind of style where, you know, one person is dut, 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 and the other ones go splat. And um, I agree with that. That's kind of how they they do their 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 rapping style. But it harkens back to the whole Sugar Hill gang. You know, it's kind of that call and response where um, they're all kind of taking their turns, but they're all still very engaged. Um, but after listening to really Paul's Boutique, Check Your Head, uh, Getting Ill Communication, um, those three records are extremely strong, extremely strong. So I was really excited that this was uh, Paul's Boutique was going to be nominated. Um, because uh, it's like the first of its kind. Uh, it, sample Delica is what Wikipedia almost puts this in that genre. Um, but yeah, at first, Beastie Boys wasn't for me. 
but I don't know if the hip hop genre uh, was really for me at the very beginning as I was really getting into um, music, like seriously. Um, yeah. But over time, um, they they definitely have uh, their credible chops, and uh, it's hard not to respect this band. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, Steve, what what about you? Yeah, as a teenager of the 90s, I, the Beastie Boys are just right in there where it just makes sense to at least own one CD or two. Like, you know, the same fact that I also, uh, you know, you're going to probably own a, a garbage album and a Liz Fair album and a uh, the Breeders album. I'll keep picking uh, female artists, but my point is, is that you'd read about them in details, magazines or some such. And the, the Beastie Boys, it just seemed like as a child of the nineties, you'd own a Beastie Boys album, uh, the Beck as well. Beck is just, it made sense to own some albums by Beck. I felt the same way about the Beastie Boys, but with the, with the Beastie Boys, I, I remember very specifically becoming exposed to them on a few key moments in, in, in addition to the, the sabotage video, which, uh, Everybody knows about that video, and it's great. That's it's that video informed many of our styles of humor. I think Mark and I definitely had some uh, some inside jokes about oh God, it. Yeah, it, and uh, it was just just hilarious. And it, much like Garth Naringi's Dark Place, which was cheap because it had to be cheap, but that was part of the joke. And everybody kind of does like a lot of people in Adult Swim do that now. Uh, the sabotage video. You see stuff like that all the time, which is ironic throwbacks to the 90s, 80s, and 70s. But I didn't see it as much back in 1994, so it was pretty goddamn funny when they did the Streets of San Francisco type thing. And like Mark said, on top of that, the song is undeniable. Captain Kirk <laughs> yeah, from the Kelvin watching... timeline loves that song. <laughs> I was just watching it tonight. The cops in that don't do anything except look cool and like beat the shit out of skateboarders. <laughs> they don't do anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so that was one point. A little bit before that, in the earlier of the 90s, um, of course, I did hear when I was younger, I'm sure I heard Five Free Right to Party. And I probably heard Hey Ladies, but I didn't think much of it also because when I was younger, I wasn't collecting a lot of music like I would when I was older. But uh, Check Your Head, for some reason, landed on my, I think, my my early 90s MTV radar. And I loved What You Want. Uh, as a, like I'd be watching MTV, waiting for November Rain, and What You Want would come on. And I would be like, hey, I'm okay with this. This song's awesome. And it was probably you know, early exposure to any kind of rock rap crossover for me. Um, there's, there's hints of that in that song and not, not as much as you're going to see on, uh, if you look at looking down the barrel of a gun from this album, for example, but they, they, they really did. I, I like that. They really did an organic version of fusion, fusing rock and rap where it didn't seem like a gimmick. Like when run DMC and Aerosmith did it, that was a gimmick. When anthrax and, Public Enemy did it. I wouldn't call it a gimmick, but it still felt like one thing was kind of fused on the other. But when the when the Beastie Boys did it, it seemed like an organic song, one piece. 
And they were one of the early exposures to that with some of these uh, earlier albums. So yeah, Check Your Head, I, I picked that up in high school eventually. And uh, I, I definitely got Intergalactic, got pushed by MTV quite, or I'm sorry, Hello Nasty with Intergalactic on it. Got pushed by MTV quite a bit when that came out. I remember buying that when it first got released. And somewhere along the way, I did I did buy um, Ill Communication. So I had those three. And those all three of those albums sold quite a bit. I'd say that the highest charter of that was definitely Ill Communication. And I was never a super fan, but I always, I just, I, I felt like just being the age I am, I'm 41 now. In the 90s, the Beastie Boys was just something that, you know, right next to the to Beck albums and Rage Against the Machine. Why wouldn't I be listening to the Beastie Boys? It all kind of all was in a similar corner. And uh, yeah, they were uh, they were definitely good until they stopped. But in the nineties, I was I was into them. There you go, child, child of the nineties. Child of the nineties likes the Beastie Boys. Yeah. <laughs> Newsflash. Well- in the 90s, you you knew you were going to have a high quality good time with the Beastie Boys. I mean, it was, it, you know, they had it, by then they had a good rep. So the Beastie Boys are, um, you know, three MCs. Uh, you've got Adam Yap, MCA. You've got Mike D, a.k.a. Michael Diamond. Um, I should have said that backwards. And then you've got Adam Horowitz uh, at Rock. Um, and they would have like a, um, a shuffling of, uh, DJs scratching from, you actually had Dr. Dre, not the West coast, but you had the UMT raps, uh, Dr. Dre early in the Def Jam years. You had, um, this, uh, you had uh, DJ hurricane, um, during the, the, the nineties years. And then towards the end of the nineties, you had Mixmaster master Mike from the Sacramento area. Um, and going through their history, um, I am heavily, uh, referencing, well, I'm not going to heavily reference. I am going to heavily recommend the Beastie Boys book by Adam Horowitz and Michael Diamond. It is a comprehensive oral history of the group. And it's in addition to having beautiful pictures and just really making you feel like you're there, a lot of artifacts and stuff like that. It's great how it's set up where it'll be like one chapter and Mike D's telling this chapter. And then he'll get something wrong and you'll see this interjection of this blurb with a different color font. And it's, it's ad rock telling him how wrong he got that story. And then like, uh, you know, somebody else will pop in and say like, Oh yeah, you guys are being assholes or whatever. It's just like, it's kind of chaotic, but in a great way. And it's highly readable. I think I read that thing in like two weeks. Um, yeah. And, and you know, quite Eric, good. It, as far as I'm sure we can, we can go through some of the history here pretty quickly. But as far as the acts we've covered, I mean, one of the most popular bands of the 90s, if not, I don't know, one of the most popular bands of all time, maybe, arguably. I mean, they were they were they were they were like, you know, selling Madonna numbers on on some albums, I I think, or at least when they go on tour, it was a big deal. Um, There's books about them, like you just said. There's documentaries about them. Very well known history as compared to say your frontline assemblies or your killing yeah, jokes. Yeah, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna like bounce. We really gotta dive yeah. in. We're gonna yeah. bounce. We're gonna bounce through this. We're gonna bounce through this. Um, I was just saying, I recommend that book and the um, Spike Jones directed documentary on Apple TV Plus is very good. There's some overlap in stories, so um, if you're if you want to go down that journey, I recommend do the book first, then the doc. Um, there's also a pretty great, they did a series in 2009 
uh, and you can find them all on YouTube as separate videos. They um, did a, the, all three of them did a live commentary on every album. And I definitely used their commentary on Paul's boutique um, on, in here later too. So um, that's the, uh, there's the uh, footnotes. So getting into it, it starts in the punk years. They came from a punk band. Uh, Mike D and was in a, a band called the Young Aboriginals. And um, when that broke up, he and the drummer Kate Schellenbach they formed a new hardcore band with uh, Adam Yao. And this is the early '80s, and East Coast hardcore was something. It was a force. Um, and while they weren't as, I would say, deep um, as say your, uh, you know, your Bad Brains or your Minor Threat. The musicianship was there, and some of those songs off Polywog Stew are quality punk songs, like A Grade on Mojo. That's got a riff and a half. Um, and uh, funny enough, <laughs> Beastie Boys, when they were a punk band, st stood for as an uh, acronym, stood for Boys Entering, boys entering. Anarchistic, anarchistic States, states towards, towards Inner Excellence, inner excellence Boys. boys. Uh, so Boys is, is twice uh, in their name. Um, and there was a girl in their group, so it doesn't even make any sense. Manos, hands of fate. <laughs> exactly. Um, from this era, uh, like I said, A Grade on Mojo, I think, is a solid track uh, coming from a punk fan. And then towards the end, they started really getting into club culture in New York. Uh, this like post dancey post-punk new wave stuff and, um, and, and hip hop. And so they tried their hand at like a dancey dub song and they called it Cookie Puss, named after the Corvell uh, cake mascot. Yo, man, where's the supervisor at? I, I, I got the number. Um, and the, the song is this dancey thing with this bass line that could have been like a killing joke bass line and, uh, and <laughs> a prank call to, to Corvell. Uh, Mike D prank calling him and then like somebody scratching a Steve Martin stand-up record over it. I mean, it sounds like something I might have made when I was 12 and um, it's stupid, but it is funky. It's it's kind of a jam and you could see them kind of changing direction. Um, you guys have anything to say about this this era of, the, of their... That's the stuff that you can find on some old shit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some old bullshit and um, I think they actually put two tracks on uh, on the Sounds of Science. At some point, they're starting to they're starting to break up. They're they're not doing the hardcore thing anymore, and they're getting into rap music. And they they meet a friend. He's a, a DJ. He's a student at, at NYU, and he's a DJ. And it's Rick Rubin. And they're hanging out in his apartment a lot. He's got all the good records. And they start making beats. They start looping Led, Ze Led Zeppelin drum beats. And meanwhile, while they're hanging out, uh, Rick Rubin, according to the book, is pressuring them to, to go full hip-hop and get rid of Kate, the drummer Kate Schellenbeck. 
um, get rid of her. It's a, uh, you know, no place for no place for a woman. I, the way the, the book reads it, it does sound like there is some sexist stuff going on. And I'm a Rick Rubin apologist, but it sounds like, you know, young men uh, wanting to create a boys club for sure. Um, and anyway, she wasn't really interested in the hip hop side of it either. So it's fine. She went on to uh, form Luscious Jackson and was signed by Beastie Boys Grand Royal Records. So um, obviously they they uh, they uh, fix things up. Um, but meanwhile, Rick Rubin and Russell also, Simmons. Luscious oh. Jackson. Also, when you're reading your details magazines from the 90s, another one you're always going to read about. Luscious That's Jackson. right. That's right. That's right. They had a, they had a what was that? Naked Eye. That was their big hit. Naked Eye. That was the one I was thinking of. Yes. Yes. Good song. Yes. Wasn't that yeah. also on Grand Royal? They went that way. That's right. They, 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 they signed her. Yep. And kind of made a yeah. man. At the drive-in and Luscious Jackson. Those are the two that I remember being in on Grand Royal. Yep. They also had Sean Lennon. His first album was on Grand Royal. Uh, okay. Well, they are becoming this, uh, this rap group and, um, they are, meanwhile, Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons, they start Def Jam records. Right. And, 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 uh, You've got your big group. You got Run DMC as the big group, and um, Beastie Boys are just hanging out. You can see um, them in. Uh, you can see MCA playing bass in that um, "Walk This Way" Aerosmith Run DMC song. Um, Mike D made the beat to LL Cool J's first single. I mean, they are embedded in early Def Jam, and um, you know they've got a few songs and they're ready to go on tour and open for Run DMC. Um, and really, you know, they're these three white guys that kind of have these obnoxious personas. And then they realize that the people are more entertained the more they play that up. And we get your frat rap, as we'll call it. Uh, songs about girls, uh, songs about, uh, you know, misogynistic songs, um, songs about partying and drinking and, and just dumb as dirt. <laughs> these songs are dumb as dirt. But there's some good, there's some jams in there. You go back and listen to that. There's a couple jams in there. Um but they'll be the first ones to tell you that they were young and uh, had nothing to say um, back then. Um, but you got some good tracks on their first uh, album, Rhyming and Stealing with that John Bonham beat. Um, you know, of course, like uh, No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Uh, there's, some, there's, there's for sure, oh, uh, was it was Paul Revere with the backwards, the, the, the backwards loop. Great, great tracks. A couple great tracks. It's, I, I, that one I don't go back to very often. But it was big. It was I a am, massive I am a, hit. I am a, I am a, I am a fan of uh, obviously the, the Carrie King from Slayer guitar solo in No Sleep Till Brooklyn. And uh, that song, it's that, that song's good, period. And uh, yeah. Paul Revere, that's all right. It's a good song. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But it was huge. I mean, that that album sold so much. Made made Def Jam a ton of money. They went on tour, open for Madonna. They like went over to the UK to tour and just terrorized those poor those poor Brits. The Brits hated them because they were so just sloppy Americans. Uh, and they ended every show with a with a giant inflatable dick popping out of a box. When I guess that's our our Rammstein connection. So there you go. There it is. There it is. There it is. We did it. We did it. We did it. <laughs> they both rode giant dicks. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh yeah yeah so um so that's all going well they're doing they're they're living it up um you know i, I remember i had a, a concert video of theirs that i had bought i had their music videos from that album and the concert backstage from that album and they were just 
they were just they were living it up and being just sleazy rock stars and they'll, they'll reference that video often that they were they were pretty embarrassed about how they were behaving back then um but things were about to end for the beastie boys um According to them, Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons were doing some shady business. And um, and obviously there could be a contractual thing. There could be another perspective to this um, because, I mean, Rick Rubin usually seems to really respect the artists that he works with that. But at the time, at, at some point, they just turned off the Beastie Boys royalties and Russell and Rick split their all of their royalties 50-50 and none went to the group. Um, like I said, who knows the whole story? Maybe they were in the hole for some advance money or, or whatever, but either way, BCs were pissed and they ended it. They ended it there. Um, might be more to that story. I might, I might like, uh, I might like fight for your right to party a bit more if I hadn't heard it literally 5,000 times in my sure. lifetime. Sure. I mean, that could, that could be a fun song, but my God, uh, 5,000 might be underselling it. That video played it. it. It was on all the time. We could have soda and pie. Yeah. That that video is uh is really something. That is uh I mean, I yeah. don't hate license to ill after being able to kind of look back on what it is. Um if I was to rank any of the records, that would probably rank it towards the bottom for me. But even though that was a massive hit, um, and the record that we're gonna be talking about was almost like a massive flop. Oh, yeah. um, almost putting them in the one hit wonder category, um, which they're clearly not, but it's, I mean, it's, it's wild to me about the sensibilities of the music going, um, buying, uh, population back then, because my God, Paul's boutique is a huge improvement over license still. It's like not even, it's like light years ahead, you know, mm-hmm. it's wild. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I don't think the general the general public back then probably wasn't ready for it, which is what exactly what happened. Yeah. Oh, there's uh, actually. Yeah, there's that. there's a little there's a little more to that, too. Um, why it was a flop. Um, I mean, if they just would have given it a couple more years for Moby to become the big, massive hit he is and teach the <laughs> world that it's OK to smash, a, you know, old folk singers and, and bluesmen with a beat. Well, they'd be set. But they were ahead of their time by a decade. But they thought they were it. They thought they were done. They thought they were over. Um, and uh, and uh, they moved, um, a change of scenery. They moved to California to see if, you know, if there was any hope for them, for them moving forward. So... They moved to California and um, they rent a house together. They still want to make music and they want to see if it's going to exist in the form of the Beastie Boys. They get in this house and and this house is like is going to be the uh, the muse for for Paul's Boutique. It's super 70s inside. Um, it was it's owned and they're renting it from Alex and Madeline Grasshoff, who were like TV. They were TV production couple. Um, and during this time, somebody broke in one of their closets and, and Mike D starts handing people 70s clothes, Madeline's 70s, so like ladies clothes from the 70s. And they just start going to parties in LA dressed like that. And this is when they're starting to get attention for fashion. Um, there's a funny story about them going to Dolly Parton's party 
and Bob Dylan just sees Mike D in this ridiculous, like bright seventies outfit and makes a beeline to him and immediately starts asking him how many people show up to his, like, he's like, Hey, how many do you pull? Like how many people is there coming to your concerts? And, uh, Bob Dylan's uh, very interested in, in these guys. Um, and they start working on their album and Capitol records is the new, their new, uh, record label and they want the capital all capital wanted from them is make an mc hammer disc record that's what they wanted and they were not into that at all they knew they were just going to do their own thing and um at some point they meet this engineer who's building a studio um mario caldado jr and um who also plays you know he's an engineer he also you know plays the Rhodes piano and he's friends with um and had built a studio for the Dust Brothers, um, who are Mike Simpson and John King. And um, at some point at one of these at one of these parties, um, they're there and they're playing some music. And at that time, Dust Brothers had been working for Delicious Vinyl um, and working close with uh, was Matt was yeah Matt Dyke. Yeah, was Vinyl. Delicious Vinyl was his record label, um, and uh, and he was he was co-founder of that. And Dust Brothers were their house producers for a while doing uh, Booyah Tribe, Tone Loke, Tone, uh, Loked After Dark by Tone Loke. Um, and, uh, you know, he would, um, they were at this party and they were just hearing all of this super dense, super dense, like 70s samples and uh, early versions of what would be Shake Your Rump. And, um, they were, they were into it and, and they, they wanted to, to work together. And that's kind of where it all, where it all started. Um, so the dust brothers, uh, you know, are very like, they've got the tech, they've got lab, they got, uh, PCs that they're, they're putting these samples together and BC boys, it's to fit in their whole seventies pastiche. They love it. And they start recording it at Matt Dyke's apartment and it's just, you know, hanging out, smoking the bong recording and they're loving the stuff that's coming out of it but the record label is getting nervous that um they're recording their album which is supposed to have a lot of money behind it at some dude's apartment so they feel like they need to go to the record plant and and finish the album um turns out they really like their vocals and stuff in that they recorded in matt's closet better so they end up using way more of the apartment recordings and in the end the dust brothers just use the record plant to to uh finalize the mix of paul's boutique um, and, uh, you know, you are, you know, you're spot on that, um, that it was a flop. And I, one of the reasons was they had gotten all this attention when they moved to California from Capitol records, but by the time the album was ready to go and they had kind of gone back on what the label wanted, which was like stupidest idea of ever making an MC hammer disc record. Um, they, uh, their, their kind of handler at the record label said, well, I'm sorry, but for promotion on this one, I, we got to put all our money in the new Donny Osmond record. And, uh, and they dropped the ball label label. Didn't promote this thing really at all. I mean, they got some good money for music videos, some, some solid music videos, and then also some cheap as hell music videos. But, um, but as far as promotion goes, getting this out to the record labels, radio stations, payola, all that stuff, it, the, the label was not behind it at all. So, um, that's another reason for it, for it being a flop. Um, and then we'll get into the, the, the album itself, but that's kind of the background of it. Um, just, just enjoying that California life and being just sucked into seventies, seventies culture and then working with two, two geniuses. Um, of course the dust brothers would go on to, uh, 
do many things, including the Fight Club soundtrack, which I know that was a record store staple, wasn't it? Like that was always on when we were working at the record store. Just, just great music to work to. Yeah, no, I loved the Fight Club soundtrack. I also, um, I mean, I'm sure that we'll talk about a little bit more with the Dust Brothers' work with like Beck, for example. Uh, but yeah, the Fight Club soundtrack was uh, definitely something that was safe because you knew that it didn't have any lyrics, but it was still like uh, phenomenal beats. Oh yeah, 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 just just good groovy beats, yeah. But yeah, no, they they did go on to work with Beck. They produced Odelay, uh, two tracks, Deborah and Hollywood Freaks off Midnight Vultures, and then the album Wero with uh, with Beck. Um, and is is Midnight Vultures on this season? Are we are we somebody pick that? No, unfortunately not. I was definitely in the in the running. Um, yeah, that is my favorite Beck record. Is Midnight Vultures? Oh, that yeah. is a achievement. Um, yeah. but no, yeah. didn't make it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I mean, I think that's why we're talking like Beck too. that just that nineties sound of starting to use these really cool electronic production things, but just making, you know, alternative records. Um, they were really good at that. And, and, and a timeless sound, a dusty 70 sound over that clearly was a, was an inspiration to them across the board. And they made some other stuff that doesn't really fit that mold. Like they produced Mbop by Hanson. Uh, I forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh my god! Yeah, that's wild. That's wild. Um, yeah, you know, it's a, it's, it's certainly a crisp produce. Crisp. Did they do bridges uh, uh, to bridges Babylon? To, that yes. Rolling yes. Stone, or did they do like just a few tracks? Did they did the whole record? Yeah, and I, uh, I, I didn't honestly. I just it just says they co-produced it with with the Rolling Stones. So for all I know, okay. they could have just been, they could have just liked the opportunity and were like studio engineers. For all for all I know on that one, it's certain. I, I can't I can't imagine it's got like breakbeats in the background of that record. <laughs> I um, have listened to Bridges to Babylon once, and I can't remember anything about it. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean they weren't afraid of um, of pop music. They produced. Um, a song with Eagle Eye Cherry on that Santana Supernatural that of massive selling, massive selling record. Um, uh, they, uh, that thing was pretty, a monster. That was a monster. That, and people are still talking about that. <laughs> Matchbox 20 song. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, they did a track on, on Hybrid Theory with Linkin Park. Um, and uh, they haven't really done anything in 20 years, like not 20, maybe 18 years. They've been they've been kind of done. Um, one thing that is interesting is apparently Chemical Brothers, their first name, the name they were using in the UK was Dust Brothers. Um, and there was some legal battle over that. Um, but I think we're going back to the production they had done way back in the 80s. Dust Brothers probably had it first. Um, ultimately, Chemical Brothers had to change their name. Um, but, uh, you know, that was a little little industry beef for a while, but um, they made up and Dust Brothers remixed one of their tracks later on. So just to kind of, that's that's the background on Paul's Boutique, um, just to get kind of through the rest of, of their career.
a sample heavy album, um, they move into another house and they create their own home studio and they start playing their instruments and they want to rely less on samples and more on live instrumentation, even if they're sampling and looping their own live instruments. And that really creates the pastiche for Check Your Head and Ill Communication, the next two ones. We talked about those. Um, a little bit of punk here and there, a little bit of funk. Um, both of these albums were like a party to go. I mean, I remember high school parties where these were definitely a, a, a fixture. Um, yeah, Steve said, so what you want? You know, awesome song, some organ playing, and, and uh, these, these guys are really coming to their home as lyricists. They're becoming more thoughtful, um, more, uh, I guess, woke, as they'd be called now. Um, you know, uh, Gratitude is like just a rocking track. Something's Got to Give is a weird dub song. It's political, it's pretty. It's around this time that they create Grand, the Grand Royal label and their own zine. Um, and, uh, you know, they make up with, uh, make up with uh, Kate and Luscious Jackson. They signed Sean Lennon. Um, and uh, even Mike D and Sean Lennon do a track on that Handsome Boy Modeling School album. So good. And um, they keep going. Ill Communication has Sabotage, huge hit. Like these guys, the, the avalanche is going now. There's no, there's no stopping. The Beastie Boys are huge. And this is that era, California. Um, they're infusing a lot more funk and into their live in live instrumentation and um honestly uh check your head and ill communication are they could it could be a double disc they're their brother and sister albums i totally agree they they definitely sound of a piece I like the rawness and just the, uh, yeah, the rawness, especially of check your head. Um, I, it's a totally, it's, it's not quite a 180 from Paul's boutique. There's still that like dusty retroness to it, but it's way more live instrumentation and, uh, has more rock songs, but you know, what you want, it's a great song. And, uh, I even get them mixed up. I mean, is, is Root Down on that album or is it on the next one? It is Root on, on Ill, I think Ill Root Down's on Ill Communication, yeah. Yeah, that's a great song. I remember the, uh, the, the, the Saturday Night Live performances from around these years were pretty awesome. I remember seeing them as a... My dad had something to do in Reno, and we went and stayed at a hotel in Reno, and they went to go get drunk or something. And I remember sitting there and watching Saturday Night Live and being like, wow, the Beastie Boys Live are pretty great. It was uh, from those days. Yeah, I specifically remember there. They did a performance of Sabotage on the MTV Video Music Awards that I thought was just unbelievable. Cool. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. That tore the roof off the place, if you ask me. Oh, that uh, yeah. breakdown where um, Adam Yauch's bass playing comes in after that little like quiet part. Oh, oh Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it's yes. in the video where they're like taking the donuts out of the yeah. the bag. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ill Communications, yeah, yeah. my favorite record of theirs. Um, there's uh, just a smorgasbord of great things off that record, and uh, you know, it's 
I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but they get really jazzy. Um, I think uh, a lot of great organ work is all throughout the Beastie Boys work, uh, you know. Um, but yeah, uh, they did this jazz album that's not really considered a full record. It's like an EP. The in sounds from out. I Eric, correct me yeah. on this. What's that? That the in yeah, sounds the from out there. The in, in sounds from way out are um, way out. That's it. Yeah, yeah, and they're taking in the most of it's the instrumental stuff they've already released, but it's just a, uh, it's just like a compilation of just that that stuff, that jazzy, yeah. funky, fantastic stuff. work on that too. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. That's, check your head had a uh, check your head had uh, Professor Booty. Booty sample. B- booty. Yeah. yeah. Professor. What? Professor, what's another word for pirate treasure? Well, I think it's booty. 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 That's what it is. Yes, I got it. Bounce in the fucking I do believe it's booty. Ill communication has that. Well, if it's going to be that kind of party, I'm going to stick my dick in the mashed potatoes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> oh boy. Well, they 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 keep you know kind of going with this. Um, they're touring. Uh, the videos are are huge. Um, and then they they decide. Uh, you know, it's it's time to move back to New York, back to their roots. And they they set up another home studio there. Um, and they re- make Hello Nest. <laughs> Which, if you if you if you listen to them, this is at least uh, Mike D and Ad Rock's favorite Beastie Boys album. It's super diverse. Um, the hits sound like a traditional Beastie Boys, like intergalactic, crazy video, Godzilla type video, to like body moving, which was like actually like a pretty contemporary hip hop track at the time in the sound. Um, and then they get into some weird stuff like song to the man is like this, like anti leering feminist song. It's like, it, uh, it almost sounds like, a like the, like a lo-fi indie song with doors, Oregon over it. It's, it's pretty good. it's it's a long album and there's some real forgettable tracks and then there's some real solid solid tracks and they are experimenting a lot more on this one and um i mean hello nasty for me it's a pretty long record uh it uh, definitely yeah. stretches the cd length time frame um there's some good ones i'm not a big fan of body moving um, it seems to kind of try to capture some of what was in the uh, zeitgeist at that point with the Chemical Brothers and yeah. Prodigy. Yeah. Uh, there is actually a world fat, on fire. There's a Fat Boy Slim remix of it that is actually. There you better. go, Fat Boy Slim. Yep. Um, 
and uh, but Intergalactic's a good song. Um, it's uh, it's got a fun video, but it really does have that Beastie Boys style of. I think it really takes it to the nth degree of da 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 splat. You know, um, it's not my favorite Beastie Boys song, but I think uh, Hello Nasty is not one of the ones that I reach for very often. Yeah. Um, that's fair. But yeah. And and I would say that that the that their critique against the Beastie Boys being like you know, the rap world moved on but their like vocal delivery never really did with the call and response thing. And I would say that's that's half true. I mean, they would they would try to contemporize a little bit as it goes on, but um, there's always going to be songs where they do that. And that's kind of their signature thing. Um, yeah, but I I think that even if there's, uh, I'll, I'll go with half of it. I don't think it's as exaggerated as Mark or uh, our former coworkers making it sound to be. But uh, I'm not listening to the Beastie Boys for the delivery and the rapping primarily. It's for the musicians, the musicianship or the the production. For me, that's what I. That's a, the, the that's if I'm putting the Beastie Boys on, it's for the music then the vocals. So it doesn't yeah, bother me no. that much. Sure, sure. I concur. Yeah. And uh, so anyways, we're getting into the kind of end of their career. Um, after 9-11, they recorded like, uh, they literally had a song called Lo- Love Letter to New York. Um, they recorded To the Five Boroughs. This is really a throwback in production. It's a lot more 808s and just electronic um, beat machines. Um uh, you know, less, I think there's the, there's less standout tracks on this, but, um, you've got a, uh, uh, you know, a lot of Bush era political, um, and my, and MCA is going at this point, I kind of forgot to mention his trajectory around ill communication. He gets really into Buddhism. Um, and this re- like, it's a, it's a, it's a pet project of his. He creates the, the music for Tibet concerts, a benefit for, uh, Tibet and to, you know, raise money for the, you know, and, and awareness to the, what was going on there. Um, and, you know, he definitely becomes the most political minded of the group. And, um, you know, post 9-11, he, had, he definitely had a lot to say on that record. Um, kind of cool to hear them do a throwback with the elect- more electronic uh, beat making. Um, not a lot of standouts, though. Um, do you guys, do you guys digest that one at all? Uh, to the five bur- yeah. uh, bur- uh, burrows. Oh my yeah. God. Helps <laughs> if I actually can fucking talk here. Um, uh, it's been a while, uh, yeah. but yes, yeah. uh, it uh, definitely seemed to affect them as they're all boys from New York. Um, and it's uh, very glaringly obvious that uh, it's a tribute to New York with the yeah, album yeah. cover. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a bit, I, I didn't have an opportunity um, because I wanted to keep things on time. I, I didn't have an opportunity to do a, a run through like I yeah. tend to do as I prepare for this, but I can say that I actually like to the five bureaus of uh, burrows over hello nasty. I will say that yeah. it's always yeah, ranked a little high in my, in my, in my mind. That's, yeah, that's fair. Um, and it does have a great delivery of ad rock saying, um, uh, I'm thorough in the burrow, which uh, I don't know why that, that just that, that little bit of dialogue is stuck in my head. I, uh, I didn't do a run through on this one cause I'm still uh, suffering uh, from exhaustion of uh, huh. Rammstein disorder. Sure. But, um, I, uh, I, I haven't listened to that album in years 
and I'm probably due for a revisit. I don't remember liking it more than Hello Nasty. Sure. All right. Well, they follow it up with their final album, Hot Sauce Committee Part 2. There was allegedly supposed to be a part one that just didn't get around to, to um, polishing those worth a damn. Yes, here we go again, give you more, nothing lesser. Back on the mic is the antidepressor. Air rock, no pressure, yes, we need this. The best is yet to come in, yes, believe this. Let go my echo, while I flex my EO. Sip off a sicko, just up the keynote. In my coffee playing Dino, in the casino. Songs worth a damn. Um, their idea for this one, which is clever, but in the book, like, <laughs> Ed Rock's the first one to say, like, yeah, you got to get people's attention with a song before a gimmick is going to work. But what they did is they they would reference, like, every song, it would say, like, you know, sampled by, they put these record, these album covers of songs that they sampled in the, each song, but they were fake records. They didn't, they, they just created these fake bands and fake records, and they were doing all the samples. It was all, they were all creating it themselves. It's a very complicated gimmick, <laughs> but um, they thought they would like drive like, uh, you know, audiophiles crazy trying to track down these records that never existed. Um, and that was the gimmick for that that album. It is like a lot of live instrumentation. Um, there is a great raucous little garage garage rock song called Lee Majors Come Again. It's it's a very cool cool like one of their last rock songs they did. Um, they did a song called Too Many Rappers with Nas, and it's like you know definitely them like trying to connect to modern hip hop. They do I don't play no game I can't win with Sand of Gold, um, pretty contemporary single for the time. Um, didn't you know didn't necessarily fit their style, but it's not a bad song at all. Um, but really, the creme de la creme of this final album is the song Make Some Noise because they made a 30-minute short film around this song as a music video, and it's called Fight for Your Right to Party Part 2, Make Some Noise, and it's <laughs> it's Danny McBride as MCA, it's Elijah Wood as Ad-Rock, and uh, it's Seth Rogen as Mike D, and it takes place right after the Fight for Your Right to video, Party video, and they just walk around Brooklyn getting into all sorts of trouble and a ton of cameos, as far as the eye can see. It is a lot of fun. I, I watched that video at least like once a year, the full 30 minute Especially when they, they run into their future selves, uh, played by Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, and Jack Black. It's a great, great fun, great fun. Hot Sauce Committee Part 2. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's one of those that I always do when I do a run-through on the Beastie Boys, probably once every three years. Um, and unfortunately, Eric, i sorry to break your heart that I just, I didn't have the time. I didn't have the time to do it. I'm sorry. But uh, Hot Sauce Committee, um, I just remember um, it being not a bad way to go out. That's all I'll all say about that one. Yeah. No, like I said, yeah, I, find they, it, they, I find it, I find it funny that Mark's acting like we're like contractually fucking obligated to, uh, to go listen to every album by the artist. Whenever we got to do these podcasts, it's not true. We usually just, uh, we do it if we have, we have the time. Don't apologize to Eric. Let's get back. Hold on. Let's go back again. Uh, I, I latched on, latch onto these things that you guys say, and I can't let them go sometimes. Also, uh, Mark, <laughs> 
Uh, I haven't listened to the Hot Sauce Committee since uh, my last run through. And with the Beastie Boys, I do one approximately every three years or so. That's a very specific uh, figure. <laughs> every three years. I like, imagine oh, Mark, has his, Mark has his yearly run throughs, like the artist that he goes through every year. And then he's got like the one that, you know, the twos and threes that, you know, aren't pressing. But uh, after three years, you know, it's, it's, it's time. It's right. Guys, I have a spreadsheet and a reminder on my iPhone says, oh, time to listen to the Beastie Boys. I'm like, I'm not in the mood, but you got to do it. So it's just, you know, I've got to uh, just I've got to do it. So it's just one of those things. Otherwise, the world will uh, probably cease to exist. Beastie Boys are every three years. Rage Against Machines every one and a half years. Uh, You got to slide a oh, scale a, for that, i mean years. you can do that in a weekend it's it's easy yeah. tenacious d is every five years uh stabbing <laughs> westward stabbing westward every seven years that's interesting <laughs> well uh, yes hot sauce committee you know and and it, it went out that that video was really a celebration of the beastie boys that movie um and it's got kind of mca's last appearance because in 2012 he passes away he dies from cancer um, and, uh, you know, it, it, definitely, definitely horrible. He was like the, everybody would describe him as the coolest guy in the room. He was the one that figured out production first out of all of them. He was the one that figured out sampling their live instruments first. He was the first one to kind of take their lyrics into a more thoughtful plane. Um, you know, everybody, everybody's like, just simply love the guy. And, um, and yeah, he died in 2012. And of course, you know, Mike D and Adderock, there's no Beastie Boys without him. So. That was the uh, that was the end of the Beastie Boys. Remember, remember where it was when he died, and uh, with the rate at which people die these days, I don't do that often. But I remember very specifically, I was walking in the streets of San Francisco with uh, my buddy Andrew, who moved to New York years ago, but he was out here, and he's uh, probably the biggest Beastie Boys fan I know. And uh, it was interesting. I happened to be hanging out with him when the news broke. That was a bummer. He did seem like a very unique individual. Well, honestly, like, yeah, Adam Yauch was always one of my favorites uh, just because he uh, seemed to always move the Beastie Boys forward in terms of what their sound was. Um, and just watching that Apple TV Plus doc, um, it, it seemed to be the case. And uh, he, he's a there's no question. There's no wonder why they just couldn't continue without him. I mean, or even having even any solo projects out of that, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, he was definitely one of a kind and one of my favorites. Uh, oh, yeah. If I had yeah, rank him, he would be at the top. Nice. Yeah, he's got the gravelly voice. Um, I think that that's great. And then I go back and forth on who my favorite is. Um, he's great. Uh, Ad Rock, you know, could be tied for that. Um, he's, you know, he was able to take his annoying high-pitched voice and change it into something. Uh, I think he's got probably the best delivery out of the group when it comes to rapping. Um, yeah. And just, just personally, I, I think it's, you think it's pretty cool. He, you know, at some point in the nineties, he married Kathleen Hanna from bikini kill. And, um, he's, uh, you know, it, 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 she, she had to take a lot of heat <laughs> probably from the Kim Gordons out there for, for dating a guy that had a song like girls to do the laundry and in the bathroom shooting beer at girls in cages at their live show. But, uh, you know, I think she was a big part of him. Like, uh, I guess being more thoughtful and, and moving away from that stuff. And, uh, you know, and he wrote some, some definitely some feminist songs from ma- ma- male perspective, um, as it went on. 
So that's cool. Then Mike D is uh, <laughs> the ladies' man, you know, or not anymore, but he was, um, you know, I who probably was thought of as the cute one. Um, he was definitely the fashion guy. He like aped Run DMC style until he discovered the 70s clothes. And then he created a, a line of thrift stores in California selling just that. Um, Love the fashion. He was definitely the fashion guy. Um, and probably the guy that did sex rhymes the most um, uh, out of the group. So, uh, uh, and I'm sure they're all, they're all doing, they're all doing stuff, but um, not so, yeah, not so much solo albums, not so much in the musical, musical world at all. Steve, do you have a favorite Beastie Boy? Uh, God damn it. Uh, who the hell is the one that looked like uh, the Christopher Moltisanti of the group? The short one. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm blanking on his name right now. Ad-Rock. That's definitely. Ad-Rock. Yes. Yeah. God. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes. No, Ad-Rock would be my favorite. Yeah, he's likable. Likable dude. All right. Well, let's, um, let's move. He's, all, he's also the one that plays the, uh, when they play live, he's usually taking the majority of the vocals, even though, uh, you know, they're, they're divided pretty much evenly when they're rapping, but on the rock songs, it seems to be the one that, is a uh, front and center, the front right. man, if you will. Right. Yeah. I, we didn't mention that when they, when they play live, he's, he plays guitar. MCA plays uh bass and um, you got Mike D on drums when they're playing their live instrumentation. And then they've got uh, Mario C on the, uh, on the organ. Well, all right, fellas, shall we go to the track by track? It's time. It's time. Hey, thank you so much for listening. This has been a history of the Beastie Boys. Uh, first part and uh, two, a two-episode series on the Beastie Boys. It's my pick. I picked Paul's Boutique, and we'll be covering that in track-by-track track next time. This is Eric. I'm sure Mark and Steve would also say thank you so much for listening. If you want to interact with us, let us know what you think about the Beastie Boys. Favorite album, favorite song or video. Can't stand them? Let us know on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, hey, listen, you want to throw us a little digital tip because we do this out of the kindness of our hearts pro bono go on to patreon.com slash pod like a whole and you know hey send us something we appreciate it you don't get anything out of it except for satisfaction that you're a good person good human being giving back to the arts you know that kind of stuff all right well i'll see you next time as we talk about paul's boutique track by track thanks <laughs>